Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emily Strzok, now brought to you by the Internet News Network, Screenworks Entertainment, Atlanta Mix 108, Smooth Jazz Cleveland, and, of course, Dove and Dragon Radio. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button down below and join me for all the new interviews. Bye. Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emily Shock. I'm here with Leslie Beth in your last name of Wish. Yes. Wonderful. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I was so excited to see your request for a guest, and I thought this is a good fit, and I, I'm so appreciative that you invited me here. Oh, I love having our very intuitive very spiritual, very positive thinkers on the show. So you have a little bit of everything going on for me. So you have, if I'm looking at this, intuition and dating, mating yes. and relating. So which one came first? Well, the way it started, where the way I got interested in intuitive love judgment was that I'm a psychologist and a licensed clinical social worker. And when I was writing my books, I always wanted to make sure that they were research-based, not things that came out of my head or, as many authors do, their own life story. So when I did research, I tend to do research on things that bother me. So one of the many things that bothered me is why do so many people get love wrong and self-included? I mean, you learn by learning, right? Yeah. You kiss frogs and you stumble. But why do we get it wrong? So that was what I decided to take a look at. And that grew out of my research for my other books because those were addressing other things such as um, how to be smart about love, um, what mistakes you make. And the more research you do, the more questions get raised. Of course. So, so um, my most current book, again, research-based on thousands of participants, either taking surveys or attending my workshops. So the role of intuition is critical in all aspects of your life. What it is, is a way of applying your judgment to make decisions, not just about love, but careers or who could be a good friend, where you should live, what house you should buy. It, it plays a major role. So intuition is so important, but people don't realize sometimes that intuition can fool you. Mm -hmm. We sometimes go into false intuition. We want someone to be our friend. We want this perfect house. We want this job, but it's not what our mind, our intuition, or our heart is actually telling us. So we ignore it because it's what we want or we think we want. Perfectly said. And there's actually a technical name for that. It's called confirmation bias. The researcher and neuroscientist Tally Sharrett talks a great deal about that. And she says that our brains, our minds, are 
really tilted towards optimism, that we want to see the best in people and we want things to look good and to feel right. So it's not unusual that you dismiss those little messages that you hear in your head that this is not a good friend or you, you think they might be or this might be a good match for me. And then there's that little thing like the ticker tape at you know Times Square that goes round and round that says, I don't know, I've got some doubts. I, they did some funny things when we were out to lunch, but now I think I blocked them. My recommendation is, Listen to those doubts. Don't dismiss them. Try to counter your tendency to have a confirmation bias. Right. We get into these relationships, and this is from personal experience, where, okay, well, he's putting me down, or this is because of he has this wrong with him. We know okay. he has this wrong with him. So it's right. just a symptom of the problem that we already are aware of. So we dismiss right. it and we stay Absolutely. in the problem rather yes. than go, wait, this isn't the right fit for me. Exactly. And it's not unusual that that happens. As I said already, when you're meeting someone for the first time, you've got more things in your brain that say, yes, 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 I want this to work, as opposed to a smaller amount that says, step back, observe, get in touch with your feelings. So I always recommend to people who are going on first few dates with someone, take a break, go into the restroom, use any excuse you can. You, you have to go to the restroom, you have to make a call, check with your brother, sister, whatever, mm -hmm. and start, go in the stall and start with your head. What is my head saying to me? What am I dismissing? What am I minimizing? What did I observe in this person's table manners? Did they gobble up their food? Did they start before I even started, you know? Um, did they um, not eat anything and really just sat and intensely listened to you, which can be actually kind of creepy? Um, mm -hmm. Also, I want you to, most importantly, how did they treat the wait staff? That will tell you a lot. I remember going out a few times with this guy who called the waitstaff honey. And that went ding, ding, ding in my head. This is someone where all women are just sweet little honeys and we're going to keep you down on the farm. So pay attention. Do they say please and thank you? Or are they're, they? They're important. Yes. Or are they treating the waitstaff better than they're treating you? Yes, very good point. And are they flirting with the, the, the staff? All those things you, you want to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things. One, are you getting better attention from the white staff than you are with your date? Right. I've exactly. had that happen. <laughs> and absolutely. Absolutely. So these are some of the major mistakes that people make in dating, particularly well, I was going to say particularly in the beginning, but also as you begin to move through the relationship and you become what you feel is a couple, these are some of the top two mistakes. Number one, you've overcorrected your last choice of intimate partner. So let's say, for example, that you chose someone who was um, too controlling, too bossy, too opinionated, like to argue with you, didn't include you in conversations that this person thought was important. You know, they talk over you. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's very, very easy to say to yourself, I I'm done with people like that. Controlling people, opinionated, think they're so important. So I'm gonna find someone who's a little quieter, kind of goes along with me, really sees me as being really valued and smart. And there's nothing wrong with those qualities. But be careful about overcorrecting. You could end up with someone who barely speaks at all or is someone who goes along to get along. And you're not going to be very happy with that, maybe in the beginning. But as you go through life, it's so important that you have a life partner who can help you think, process things, come up with ideas, let you know other things that you should have thought of or could consider. And so why would you want someone who wouldn't be your wing man or your wing woman? That's what you really want. Someone on either side of you who can help you as opposed to someone who's just going to worship you and go along with everything you say. So be very careful, very, very careful of overcorrecting. Correct. Because it goes both ways. You can, you can go from the controlling relationship to the undervalued relationship because okay. you're putting on too many, you're stacking the chips not evenly. Let's put that, it that Correct. You're overcorrecting out of fear and disappointment and also the shock that you judge someone wrong. I think most of us have been through that. You know, I wasn't always able to enumerate all these things. You know, I learned them from also my clients, but also from making love missteps. Mm -hmm. So be very careful. That's why I like you're going to the restroom, get into a stall and start thinking, am I overcorrecting? What, right. what is my sense of this person? Right. Otherwise, go ahead, please. You also have to look at it too. Are you correcting to, because there's things that you want or don't want from family members that you grew up around? It, yes, it does happen. We have these mommy issues, daddy issues. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, I interrupted you. Go ahead, please. Right. Do we want the man like our father was? Do we want the man that is the opposite of our father? Very good point. And I'm very, very grateful you mentioned that because so many people who I do shows with, um, they're in the present. They don't realize that what's all around you, you take it with you all the time, is your upbringing. You, you, you can't not take it with you. Mm -hmm. And there's good research on that. One of the things that gets in the way of your intuitive judgment being correct is that you have a sense of um, not just optimism, but your emotional state can get in the way. Just as you were saying, if your emotional state was that you were hurt very badly by someone who was big and powerful, you might overcorrect and say, I'm going to choose someone who is, you know, more like on, on wherever level I'm on financially or career wise. But the other emotional state that never quits, it doesn't quit until you're, you're at the end of your life and you're gone and maybe it continues somewhere in, in heaven or whatever, but you can't get rid of it is what you learned about men, women, relationships, marriage, sex, tempers, agreeableness, argumentativeness, helping, supporting, all that comes from your up, your care as your caretakers and your caregivers, including parents and grandparents and extended family. 
So yes, you cannot get rid of that. So how do you know what kind of impact your family has on you? Because a lot of people don't think that that's so important to look at. Well, coming from the background that I did, I'm thankful because I got to see everything, <laughs> the good, bad, and the ugly. But at the same time, what do I want as a person? What do I want to leave in the past? And what do I want to have for a healthy relationship? Excellent questions. So here's some things that your listeners can use. Ask yourself, what did I learn about marriage from my parents or relationships in case they weren't married? What have I learned about women? What have I learned about men? What have I learned about partnership and sharing? Is there someone who ruled the roost? Is there someone who didn't have a speaking part? Or was the way that your parents interacted was always to argue? Or did they avoid? Mm -hmm. So those are beginning questions to ask yourself. But the next big question is, what is my emotional role in my family? Because when you choose a love partner and think that you are in love, you're more likely to play out in that relationship what your emotional role is in your family. So how do you find that out? So think about this. And this is a, um, an analogy that came to me one of those nights, like those light bulbs, you know. And um, so pretend that your family is a ship. And everyone, you know, on a ship has to have a role. There's someone who's the captain, the navigator, the entertainment director, the one who's always in the kitchen washing the dishes. Mm -hmm. So what would your emotional role be on a ship? Would you be the entertainment director? Were you the cute, funny kid in your family? Because you might bring that with you into a relationship that someone likes you being only only funny and cute and charming, which means your role is pretty limited. Or was your family role someone who was the protector of the other siblings? And if you can't figure that out, the last step you can take is, what do I think would have happened to my family if Martians came down, friendly Martians came down from wherever, mm -hmm. and abducted me from my family. If I look back to see what happened to my family, what would have happened? Did they miss me? Did they cry about me? Did my siblings fall apart? Were they happy I was gone? Did my mother or father say, well, she wasn't the smart one, or she was the problem child, we, we don't worry about her. So that's how you begin to understand what your patterns are. And these are just um, little tricks to help you kind of spark your intuitive judgment. Right. And we all do this. I, I'm a single child, single parent. It is what is my role in my family? Well, growing up, I was the quiet outcast because that's what, where I needed to be. So what do I do as an adult? I'm the quiet outcast. Well, that's no longer working for me, obviously. So now I'm becoming opinionated. Now I'm finding my voice. Now my relationships aren't working because what I thought was my role is no longer my role because it doesn't fit me as a person anymore. Excellent example. Your, your examples are spot on. 
in my family, um, I am an older sister of a younger brother. And my job was not only to protect him, but to stop the arguments that my parents always had about his not being the son that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being extra caring, extra understanding, all good qualities, but you've got to erase the extra part because mm -hmm. sometimes that can mean that you gravitate towards someone who could benefit from your understanding, your empathy, your ability to soothe them. And you have to be very careful that you don't choose people who need a lot of soothing. So it's so important to understand that emotional state that you take with you all the time. You can't change your past, but you can change your understanding of it and your choice as to how you want to use it. Exactly. It's when we're over or extra empathetic, then yes. we drain ourselves. Correct. Then we have nothing left for ourselves. We're correcting or taking care of or nurturing, which is normal for a lot of women to do, be Correct. very nurturing. But then we overdo it. And then Correct. we're exhausted. We're tired. We are mentally and physically fatigued because there's nothing else left when you're giving all your empathetic qualities to yes. another person. And as a segue to that, the other last major mistake that people make, and this is one of the more dangerous ones, is after they've been burned in love, it didn't work out, and they said to themselves, I didn't overcorrect, I took a look at my family role, maybe I didn't quite apply it correctly, but whatever the reason is, I'm done. I'm down on love. And, and men do this too. Women and men do it in different ways in general. What men tend to do is they swear off love. They just want to go have sex with whoever might want to have sex with them. Women can do that too, but men tend to do it more, um, more likely. Mm -hmm. What women do is they, they basically say, my heart is not open. It's closed. It's just totally closed. It, it's not available. I'm going to focus on my girlfriends and my family and my kids and maybe my career. And you rationalize that those things are really what I should be doing. And maybe they are, but you also have to leave yourself open again to another attempt at finding love. Mm -hmm. But when you stop that, you get rusty. You really do. And what usually happens is some outside event, such as illness in a family, illness in you, maybe getting um, downsized, some crisis propels them to start looking for love again. And what they do is they look for love without any real knowledge. Yes. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of this with the pandemic right now. There's how, how many single people out there looking for love now? I yes. mean, you're not looking in the right place. You're not looking for yourself. You're looking out of fear of being alone. Absolutely. And the comfort and reassurance is so potent, especially during a crisis like this, that it's very easy to have those rose-colored glasses on where you can't see the shortcomings or you dismiss them and minimize them. Mm -hmm. It's very true. And we're all guilty of the, doing this. Women more than men, yes. because this is how we, our thought process is. We yes. are taught as children, you don't want to be alone. You need a partner. You need to be a caregiver. This is what we're taught. 
at least from my generation backwards. I don't know what the millennials are taught. <laughs> um, well, it almost doesn't matter what they're taught. There is a difference, not big differences, but there are important differences between a male and a female brain. And it is true that there's a part of the brain that is larger in women for relationships. Well, but that makes common sense. That they're the, They have to take care of their children. They've got to be able to read their kids' needs. That's a survival mechanism. It isn't a social judgment one way or the other, but that's how our brains evolve. Now, yes, there are women who are not nurturing and there are men who are very nurturing, but in general, you know, just speaking in terms of the most common. Like the top 80%. We'll yeah, go, something like that. Yes. Yeah. We'll go with a general number. Yes. That's just how the brains are wired. I mean, that's it's true. not cookie cutter for every person, but person. at the same time, Women are very good, generally, at reading people's faces, reading how their children sound. Are you lying to me? Because it's mommy sense. Right. They joke around. It's mommy sense. Or we'll joke around, don't scorn a woman because she'll dig into things more than an FBI agent will. That's <laughs> right. That's what we do. That's what we're appear what our brains are hardwired to do in most cases yes and remember your brain is hardwired for survival mm -hmm. i mean think about that for a minute the reason that we have intuition that is accurate and you can get all the debris away the reason we have intuition is that it is a survival skill. Think back when we were cavemen and cave women and hunters and gatherers. You had to assess a situation very quickly as to whether it was safe. You didn't have time to say, um, what, what do I recall about that experience? It has to be fairly instant. And trusting your judgment and your assessment of a situation could have been the difference between why some people lived and some people didn't. Exactly. We call it, it's not or evolution, it's uh, survival instincts, and those that learn from the mistakes live longer. Correct. So that's what we did as cave people to survive. And then, Absolutely. But now we're going in, getting into, oh, well, we have a warning label for this, so we know not to do it, but then we ignore the warning labels. That's the same thing with intuition we're ignoring the warning labels our brain is telling us. Absolutely, and here are the top reasons why we would ignore that. You're very lonely, you've had a very bad breakup, you're the only one in your family who isn't married or coupled, and you feel that pressure around you, you feel that you're getting older, you've had a, uh, a very scary experience with bad health or loss of income, all those things will conspire to making you dismiss those no signs that you hear and feel and go ahead and say yes when you should have pulled back and thought again. So that's why I recommend that when you meet someone new, try to go on the most casual date possible. Make your dates resemble real life. Run errands together. You know, if, if you have you meet for breakfast and say, look, I've got to run up to the grocery store. Why, why don't we meet there? Do you have anything to buy? Yes, I do. And, and see what it's like to hang out together. 
Does the person get anxious and you know impatient when you haven't made a decision as to what cereal to buy or or you forgot something and you've got to run to the other side of the store? Pay attention for how they react. Now those are normal everyday behaviors. So right. try to make your dates look real. Very important. Those fancy dates to fancy, you know, exclusive events really jam your brain up from seeing the other person in the correct light. Right. I always say go to, on your first date to a Starbucks, to a yes. casual, whatever yes. your normal is. Well, have a TV night at home. I'm, I'm very antisocial to begin with. So me being out in a romantic, intimate, candlelit dinner is not not my normal my anxiety level is through the roof and you're not going to see me so let's take that out go to a normal setting and then you Uh, can see the real person yes you know hang out go to things like we can't do this now because of covid but hopefully when it's safe for us to be with people mm-hmm. more out in the public you know do things like go to your local um local event that's going on mm-hmm. where you walk around and look at you know antiques or or mm-hmm. food, different food courts see how the person reacts do they get impatient if you can't make a decision what if you go to one booth and say oh, no, i really want to go back there do they roll their eyes is there a sense of give and take do you like the same things how do they treat the vendor those are great things to do because your everyday life will be filled with those everyday events. Mm-hmm. And that's true. So true. I mean, our shows that are on street fairs, it's normal every day. And this is going to go depending on where you live. I mean, certain areas have these wonderful art vendors or art yes. shows that are closed this year, but we have them. Go to them, go see what an everyday casual exactly thing is if you're only going on dates to exclusive dinners it doesn't matter if it's olive garden or a four-star restaurant you're only going to see what they want you to see they're not going to show you everything that's casual absolutely and the more casual it is the more the pretense and the guardedness goes down Mm -hmm. because ultimately you can't hide from yourself no. And this way it gives you a chance to say, do you like this piece of pottery? You know, or how'd you like this? Or, oh, mm-hmm. look, here's a, um, someone who's advertising, you know, uh, a, a weekend here. I mean, just to find out if someone says, oh, no, I hate traveling and you love traveling. You'll begin to get a sense of who the person is. And the other thing I recommend, I might have already said this, I'm not sure, but it's worth saying again, is that. Go out on the next, another date, the next time you can. Mm-hmm. Go on another date or maybe two more dates. Again, hang out dates, no big surprise, big mm-hmm. thing dates. To test your assumptions, your impressions, to correct things that you thought about them, or maybe to learn to ask yourself, how is this person seeming to me a little more different now than they were than I thought when we first went on a date. So I like the three date rule, you know, it's three outs in baseball. So get, give someone three chances to show you who they are and for you to correct your impression of them. Right. And don't overcorrect yourself where you're trying to figure out what the person is. You want them to see you. 
don't go into a date with all these assumptions of how you have to behave. I mean, table manners are must. Yes. Put your cell phone away. There's certain things you have to do because it's etiquette. But at the same time, don't take etiquette to, oh, my last date didn't like this about me, so I have to behave this way on this date. Very good point. You're, that, that's really good. Yes. If you're sensing that your date kind of, you know, bristled when you did or said something, don't hide that. Be it. Bring it forward so you can test that. Absolutely. Don't go into hiding because you're so desperate that you want to have a partner or because you want to please this person. Again, go back and take a look. Either step back. What I like better are aerial views. Get an aerial view of yourself. Where are you in life? I've had so many clients make the most mistakes in dating when they came from families where they were the only sibling who didn't have a partner and they felt that desperation. Usually they were um, a little older, they worked on their careers first and especially with the oldest of lots of siblings. So look down, you get that aerial view. Where am I? Am I too desperate? Am I afraid to be alone? Have I had an experience that has frightened me, like the COVID? Because if you don't get a handle on how that can affect and cloud your judgment, you're going to end up making another love misstep. Very true. And we're almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our readers or followers find you? Please go to my website, lovevictory.com. And on the right side, if you sign up, there'll be a place for you to put your name or your email. You will receive four bonus books. Awesome. And we love free stuff, especially when it helps ourselves get in touch with ourselves. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. And then when you sign up, um, I do a, um, an email campaign where I give tips, um, articles that I've been quoted in that might help you. So you'll be getting that also, you know, monthly, just about monthly. So there's a lot of benefits and you don't have to buy anything if you don't want to. Of course, it would be nice if you did buy some of my books, but just get free advice, get some help. And there's also an opportunity when you sign up on the right for you to send me an email with your love question. Because what I do when I send out my monthly, um, you know, little information and tips for you. So I don't just invent them. I just don't pluck them out of the air. I wait to see what people want me to write about. So your question could very well get answered. Very well. And that's excellent that you do that. But thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. As, as I said in the beginning, when I saw your request for, you know, people to come on your show. I said, I think this is really going to be a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's a terrific fit. And I really appreciate everything you said today. You're welcome. And thank you for all the wonderful advice and to our viewers and our listeners. Happy reading.